This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 141, with guest Melissa Ramos. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no-BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the show. As always, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And we have a great guest for you. And before I jump in and tell you a little bit about her, have you taken the survey yet? I am inviting you to help me out a little bit and tell me what you are struggling with. Tell me what you want to learn. I have a survey that I made for you and it's over at yourkickasslife.com forward slash survey. Made it kind of easy peasy for you. It is about 10 questions. It should take you about, in all honesty, depending on how long your answers are, which I ask you to please be as detailed as possible, about 15 minutes. These surveys are so incredibly helpful to me. It helps me to see where you're at. That way I can focus my podcast episodes, focus my classes on these topics for you. I can't make up in my head what's going on over there. (laughs) So I need to ask you what you're struggling with, et cetera, et cetera. So head on over to yourkickasslife.com forward slash survey. I am going to close down that survey on Tuesday the 21st. So please, please, please hop on over there and help a sister out. As I said, today's guest is Melissa Ramos. And let me tell you a little something about Melissa. As a nutritionist with a background in Chinese medicine and owner of Sexy Food Therapy Incorporated, Melissa Ramos helps people feel sexy from the inside out with a focus on digestion and hormone imbalances. She's a regular expert on CTV's The Social, has been a TED speaker, and has been named one of Canada's up-and-coming health and wellness stars by Flair Magazine. Melissa's passion is infectious, and her continual dedication is to inspire, empower, and motivate as many women throughout the globe. So without further ado, here is Melissa. Hello there, Melissa. Thank you for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. You and I met online not that long ago and and I've been introduced to your work and just obsessed with your videos and your blog posts and learning about so many, so many important things about (laughs) women and hormones. And there's so many places we can start. But I figure we'd start with something I think everyone can relate to, and that is mm-hmm. poop problems. You call yourself the poop whisperer. Yes, so I do. Let's talk about poop. So my first question is how I'm just I like to throw people in the deep end, like right from the beginning. Totally. So so tell us how often should a healthy woman poop a day and what should the poop look like? So on average per day, you should be going twice a day. There's actually some practitioners out there who feel that once a day is considered constipation, I probably wouldn't go that far, but it should be, you know, twice a day would be ideal. And I always tell people, you know, does your poop, you know, is it pelly? Is it, so you don't want it to look like rabbit poop. You want it to look like a dog's tail. So it's like smooth and long versus, you know, a baby's arm, which is like bumpy and which would show that you're a bit dehydrated Uh because the poop is starting to look like the large intestine, right? Because it's actually forming to sort of look like that. So that means Um, it's been sitting in there for too long and it's the water's being pulled out of the poop, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I know something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my son has had some issues, so I have done a little bit of research. There you go. Perfect. 
<laughs> okay, so what is going on if, because I think that, you know, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What if, like, it's the rabbit poop? My mom, my mom's really funny, and she was over at my house one time, and, and I knew she was going going number two, and I and I asked her, she came out, and I'm like, how'd it, how'd it work out? I'll work out in there. And she's like, well, if I was a goat, it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh no. So, and I've struggled in that area too. I call them rabbit turds. So what is going on when that's what our poop looks like? Well, when we're having like rabbit turds, there's a couple of things that are happening. So either number one, you need to drink more water because you know, there's dehydration happening. So that's a potential. The other thing that could be happening is that there's not enough fats in the diet. So we're not getting enough lubrication for the poop to be well formed and to kind of come out easy. And then the other thing that could be happening is there is some liver congestion and that's not exactly uncommon. We store sugars in two different places in our muscles and also in our liver, which isn't very uncommon because 90 million Americans actually have a non alcoholic fatty liver disease. Wow. So you could be thin and you could have a fatty liver. There's absolutely no question about that. So, you know, if there's liver congestion, some of the things that we can do is we can aid that liver. So we can, you know, take up things that are going to harm our liver, which is, you know, excess alcohol, coffee can stress your liver. If we're, you know, having it and we're super stressed, even that one cup of coffee could be adding insult to harm, excess carbohydrates. And when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, breads, pastas, sugar, those types of things are going to be harmful. And things that are going to help to uplift the liver are lots of greens Mm -hmm. for sure. The liver loves greens and also things like having a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar unpasteurized about five to 10 minutes before each meal. And that really helps to ignite the liver so that it can pump out bile, which is really what's carrying all your toxins and your hormones out and dumping them in your poop. So we really want that smooth flow of chi, which is vital energy coming out of our liver. And when we don't have that, we start to see that our poop is pellety. It's almost like, I don't know if you ever studied music when you were younger, but the idea of staccato, like Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of think of like pellet poop. It's just, there's no nice consistent flow. It's just this staccato music because it's it's like this pellets that are coming out. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, you know, having that apple cider vinegar is going to be great. The greens are going to be great. The water and the fats are going to be awesome. That's interesting. So I actually put a little bit of apple cider vinegar in my mineral water and with like a lemon and it's good. It tastes a little bit like kombucha and and I I try to be (laughs) kind of adventurous with my beverages because I don't drink anymore. So I was like, all right, someone had it at a party or something. It was apple cider vinegar. She put rosemary in it too, fresh rosemary. And I really liked it. So I've been doing that at home, but I didn't know it, that it mattered when you drank it or, I mean, does it really matter? Cause I just kind of drink it whenever. Yeah, you can drink it whenever. If you have it really, you know, about five, 10 minutes before you eat, it's going to be a little bit more concentrated for digestion. And you can actually purchase bitters that are actually going to help your liver even more because it'll have various herbs in it that will help to facilitate liver function even more so. You know, there's several bitters that I like here in Canada. There's ones that I like in the States. In the States, it's urban moonshine bitters, digestive bitters. Mm -hmm. And they've got all these different flavors. But truthfully, you want to really want to have the original one, which is sort of the, the nastiest tasting one because oh, okay. <laughs> it shouldn't taste like maple. It really should be bitter so that the liver can work its magic. 
Got it. Okay. So what about wiping? It seems like you're a little bit obsessed with wiping. Talk to us about that. (laughs) It's true. So a lot of people don't ask this, but how many times you wipe after the bathroom is really important. So if you, I always say to people, are you wiping between one and three times or three or more? And if you're wiping three or more, then it's saying that there's a lot of mucus in the colon. So if you're eating lots of breads and pastas and lots of sugar, you know, and dairy, you're going to notice that you're going to be wiping after you have a bowel movement quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. And when we remove those foods, you're going to see that the wiping is significantly less. That's interesting. I've never had this conversation before. I've had a lot of repeat <laughs> conversations on this podcast Never have we had that in 141 episodes. <laughs> Blue ribbon, first place. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so what about bloating? What is happening when women struggle with bloating? Because I feel like this is probably a common complaint. Yeah, it's a huge one. So I always ask people, when you're bloating, are you bloating roughly half an hour after eating? And quite often, more often than not, people are saying, yes, it's always about half an hour afterwards. And what that means is that we're lacking in the stomach acid because when you eat food, it's going to go directly into your stomach and you've got this stomach acid that's going to break up your food. But the problem is, is that several things actually inhibit stomach acid. Number one is stress because when we're stressed, our body's like, I don't want to be digesting anything right now. I want to get away from the bear that's attacking me. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we live in a society where every, we're just in this fight or flight mode consistently. So our body always feels like, we're running away from that bear. So the digestive function just sort of shuts down. And so being able to digest food is not going to be first priority. Hmm. So when you end up eating food and there's no stomach acid, we bloat because we don't have that fire to be able to break it down. The other thing that could be happening is if you're drinking cold water. So, you know, you go to a restaurant and they're like, oh, here's some water before your meal. And it's always with ice. Yeah. I always ask for it without ice. Always ask for it without ice because the ice is actually, it's like extinguishing that digestive fire that's supposed to break down our food. So I always have people who say to me like, you know, every single time that I eat protein, I bloat right afterwards. And the reason why they are is because you require stomach acid to actually turn on the enzyme that's supposed to digest protein. So you need stomach acid. So it's there for quite a few different reasons. But primarily, I always see people that's a big thing. So that apple cider vinegar will help. Digestive bitters will help. Although when I say digestive bitters, like I previously mentioned, it shouldn't be confused with Swedish bitters. Swedish bitters have a herb called senna in it. And senna is actually a laxative. So mm. people are like, I'm pooping like a champ. And I'm like, yeah, because there's senna in it. It's habit forming. So stay away from that. And the other thing that you can do to help with bloating If all those things don't work, then try to get an enzyme formulation that has something in it called HCL. And HCL essentially is hydrochloric acid, which is essentially helps to mimic your stomach acid so you can digest food. Hmm. That's interesting. I always thought that bloating was a sign of a food intolerance. So it's not always. It's not always. It can be. But more often than not, I see that people are bloating more so because of the fact that they're low in stomach acid. And as we get older, our stomach acid continues to decline. So it's just sort of a fate of getting older, (laughs) but it happens. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So a couple of years ago, I did the Whole30, which... 
I I don't know if I've ever even mentioned it here because it was it was I'll just say that someone who struggled with an eating disorder and then I found out like three weeks in that people who have struggled with an eating disorder should not do the whole 30. And I'm like, that would have been really great for me to know <sighs> a long time ago. It was a little bit of a disaster. Like I went into this depression and it like my hormones oh, no. just got just fucked. Like that's the best word oh, I can no. use. But one of the things that happened is that I wasn't bloated anymore. And here's the funny thing is I never knew I was bloated. (laughs) Really? I just thought that was my norm. I just always thought that was my norm. I was looking in the mirror and I was like, huh, (laughs) but that whole area of my body looks completely different. And then when I went back to eating, you know, what I normally, and I don't eat terribly, but yeah, it came back. I, again, I just always thought it was my body type and I don't, cause I don't, I don't have any like stomach issues where I don't have IBS. I don't, I'm not, you know, overly gassy or stomach pains or anything like that. So there were no alarm bells. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Go figure. Yeah, no, it's a big one. And some people don't even realize that they're bloated. Some people just feel like this is the norm for me because some people just live that way. And they, they're like, I thought everybody felt this way after they eat. I'm like, no, not necessarily. I'll have to pay attention to see if it happens more after I eat. I bet it does. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, to find out, but yeah, it never, it never has really caused a major problem except sometimes my pants are uncomfortable and I'm like, I'll just unbutton them. You're like, problem solved. Problem solved. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. So moving over around the corner, like literally around the corner, let's talk about women's reproductive issues. So you have an incredible story about polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I would love for you to tell our listeners your story and then talk about, you know, how common is this? It's very common and a lot like autism where the definition of it is expanding because the condition of it is expanding to sort of, you know, a wider range of symptoms. PCOS is also expanding substantially. And I've seen this all over the map from like the classic case where the woman is, you know, overweight and she's got higher levels of male hormones like testosterone. She's got a bunch of cysts that, you know, appear on an ultrasound like grapes all over her cysts where they can't count how many there are. And that's a classic case. But then I've seen women who are thin and have a similar profile, but not overweight. And I've seen other women who are thin and have no cysts at all, but have the entire hormonal profile of a woman who has PCOS. Hmm. So, and there's other women who've got Hashimoto's attached with it because you can have autoimmune conditions attached with PCOS. So there are multiple forms of it. I definitely have struggled, you know, personally with (laughs) cysts myself. And it's one of the reasons why that I do this work right now. So you like almost died from it, didn't you? Yeah. So I had, it was one evening where I, I honestly, truthfully thought that I was having an appendicitis attack Uh because I had a lot of pain and I just, I don't know. I just felt really bloated. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm constipated. Maybe I just got to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and nothing was moving. And then soon enough, I'm on all fours and I'm just snotty crying. And I'm like, I think I need to go to the hospital. So I went, they took a CAT scan of me and they said, listen, we, we can't see anything. Like we can't see your kidneys. We can't see anything. Like we just see blood right up to your lung cavity. And we, we don't know if it's a perforated bowel. We just have to, we, all we know is we have to go in and do an emergency surgery with you. So call family. So I did. 
And I went into surgery and almost two hours later, they took out close to three liters of blood. The human body has about four. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they stapled me up 24 staples later. And it was a cyst that had ruptured and tore off a piece of my right ovary. And they stitched it up and they said, well, you know, the ovaries, you know, all good and fine. (laughs) It's back to working. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, you just have to now recover. So it took me probably about two months to fully recover. I had like my mother had, you know, drove in to be able to help me wash myself, take me to the bathroom. It, it was a very, you know, there's, there's a lot of humility that you gain in yourself when you're, mm-hmm. you can't move. So coughing, laughing, sneezing, anything like that just was not happening. It just hurt. My lungs collapsed in surgery as well. So a lot of stuff had happened. And so it's really the, the reason why that I, I'm on sort of the hormonal mission for women. And it's not even to say like, I speak to women about hormones all the time and I always tell them, like, listen, I'm a, I'm a human first and a practitioner second, because I think that there's this perception that practitioners are perfect. Mm-hmm. So I'm always really open and transparent about my own struggles with where I'm at with things. And I find that when I am, that people feel that they have not more leeway, but more support trying to get through it. Because they're yeah. like, well, she can get through it. And she's, you know, she struggles every now and then. Then I can too, because this person's not perfect. And I think that that's really important to convey. Yeah. It's that common humanity piece for sure. For sure. So I know we have listeners of all ages that are listening to this podcast. So what are some other common reproductive issues that let's say women in their twenties and thirties have that you see a lot and that you help them with? In their twenties and thirties, I'll see everything from really bad PMS. And that's from, you know, feeling super emotional and sad and crying at any whim to, wanting to rip somebody's head off. That's fine. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, there's those two. And truthfully, like, you know, I see that, that PMS and like sore breasts and cramps and backaches and uh, PMS is huge. Bloating is also a really big one as well. And what most people don't realize is that your PMS symptoms are really indicative of how you've been treating your body a month or two prior to getting your period. Hmm. So a lot of women are like, oh, you know, I feel like crap right now. What can I do? And there are certain things you can do, but for the most part, if you really want to see actual results, it's going to require more of a lifestyle change so that when you get your next period, it's going to be like, I have some women who are actually happy when they get their period now, which is unbelievable because they used to dread it before. Now they get it and they don't have those pains. So I see PMS for sure. PCOS is massive. That's definitely a big one. I tend to see fibroids. It's usually not until women are in their later 30s or even in their 40s. We start to see that as well. Endometriosis is huge. And that's when really the endometrial lining is growing outside of the uterus and causes extreme amounts of pain. So I tend to see a lot of estrogen-based conditions that women are struggling with. And that also goes in part with acne too. Like, you know, just, oh, I'm I'm having like cystic acne and it stays for months. Or even like facial hair, which we start to see a lot with, which is called hirsutism. We start to see that a lot, especially with women who've got PCOS. And, you know, they're they're ashamed of it because they're having extreme hair growth in places that they shouldn't be getting it. So yeah, it's really all over across the board. That's fascinating. So what about 40s and 50s, like as we start to shift into perimenopause and menopause? Yeah. So in your 40s and 50s, like after the age of 35, our progesterone levels dip substantially. Mm-hmm. And our, you know, if you look at progesterone, progesterone is supposed to be there as like what nourishes you versus estrogen is sort of on the opposite scale of things. So after 35, your progesterone levels dip. And some of the things that actually make 
progesterone dip even more so is when you're under chronic amounts of stress because your stress hormones can begin to compete with your sex hormones, namely progesterone. And that ends up causing things like fibroids is a huge one. Believe it or not, by the time that you're 50 years old, 70% of women will actually get a fibroid. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's huge. And because when you start to see like, if you think of progesterone and estrogen at the same baseline level, if progesterone is deficient because of stress and because of age, estrogen by comparison begins to look a lot higher. And we need that progesterone anchor uh, so that we're not getting a lot of these symptoms. And when women start to go into perimenopause, you start to see dry skin, moodiness, you know, sleeping starts to become disturbed, hot flashes, really wonky periods. Like you can essentially be going through this transition of menopause for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to suffer for the 10 years, especially even with unexplained weight gain. Like they're like, I don't know why I have these extra 10 pounds and I can't seem to shake it off versus like even five years ago, I could, you know, do this, eat this way and it would just melt off. And now I'm having a problem with it. Thinning hair as well. These are all indicative of very much low progesterone type symptoms that I start to see women in perimenopause go through. And there are ways to be able to support that from a supplement perspective. And, you know, again, it's not just, hey, let's make sure that we just replenish the progesterone. You have to kind of go back a step and go, let's look at the stress levels here too. Mm -hmm. And stress isn't just about what supplement can I take and what food can I eat and what exercise can I do? It's really a lot about stress management, lifestyle techniques, mindset, which I work a lot with women about. In the beginning, they tend to roll their eyes with me, but the second that they kind of give it a chance and be open-minded, they start to see things really shift. But we start to see even with perimenopause and then menopause, your rates of cancer actually increase as you get older because you fail to have that progesterone anchor. And there's a high amount of stress that begins to happen. So as we get older, it's not about, you know, trying to live forever, but trying to grow old gracefully. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. So you mentioned that you work with women on mindset and I know that you help them with their emotional well-being as well. So I know this might be a super loaded question, but what in general is the connection between hormones and emotional well-being? Well, the connection is, is that, you know, if your mindset is that you're playing a negative mantra in your head the entire time, like I can't, like I've heard women say things like I'm a mess. I hear that a lot. You know, I suck at this or, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get better. Like Mm -hmm. these are things that we have, or God, what is it going to be now? And we've all said that, like, what is it now? (laughs) I know I've said that, but this mindset that happens that we sort of play over in our head again and again and again create that cortisol response, that stress hormone that elevates. And when that stress hormone elevates, I don't know about you, but the first thing I want to do is eat. So other, you know, other women will, will not eat, but most women I see will end up eating and we're not craving a salad when we're stressed. Like let's face it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, some people, it might be, (laughs) yeah. Like for some people it might be, you know, alcohol for some people it might be carbs. It's anything that breaks down to sugar. Because we get that initial endorphin high, that Mm -hmm. serotonin kick initially, that is inevitably followed by a crash. So when it comes to mindset and when it comes to that stress response, that's usually the biggest thing that I try to work with women first with to help with their hormones, even with myself. Like I'll see periods where I'm incredibly stressed and I'm like, that is my massive focus is mindset and what can I do to de-stress? It's my main thing, not what supplement can I take and what food necessarily can I eat, but you know, am I getting enough sleep? Like statistically women are more sleep deprived than men. Yeah. 
you know, and so if we are sleep deprived, if we are being victims to our own life and not taking accountability for some of the, the things that we're going through, we're just going to continually perpetuate the problem. Wow. Yeah, it's it really is. I mean, it, it sounds really cliche, but it is like that holistic way. You can't just like fix your eating and your and get take all the right supplements and drink enough water and then totally neglect your mindset and all of your emotional stuff, too, because you're still going to stay stuck and then be pissed. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it, you know, it's the reason why that like the amount of women that I see that come to me and go, I have adrenal issues. Like my adrenals are just shot and they're taking a truckload of supplements and eating all the right foods. And they might even be exercising Mm -hmm. and they're still not well. And I'm like, the reason why that you're not well is because that mindset and that stress management portion isn't there. And you know, like women come into sexy lady balls, which is my hormone membership program, lady balls referring to your ovaries. Mm -hmm. But women come into the program and they have a sort of a a preconceived notion of what they're going to receive. And then they come out always thinking like, I never realized that I was going to come out of it with this and that, that this being a positive thing. So that's really, really important because even like exercise, for example, I see two different subsets of women, either they're sedentary or they're over-exercising. They're doing CrossFit. They're doing spinning. They're doing marathons. And that's not to say that any of these workouts are bad. But if you've got adrenal fatigue, those are the last types of workouts you should be doing because you're stressing your body out even more. Boy, you're probably really making some people think right now. So <laughs> we appreciate that. So one last question before we wrap it up, and then we're going to tell everybody how they can get more from you. So I ask this question to most of my guests, and that is, what surprises you about the work you do with women? what it teaches me about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I always think that the, the people that come into your life, that they're, they really are indicators and reflections of you. And sometimes that those answers don't come right away. And sometimes it can be really frustrating. But the biggest surprise that I have of working with the women that I do is that it teaches me so much about myself, which makes me also a better practitioner and able to serve them better. The women that come in, like I'm always amazed at the caliber of women that are coming in, how incredibly strong or the stuff that they've gone through. And, you know, you learn so much from other people's struggles. Struggle and pain is not something that we need to run away from. It's the reason why we run into addiction with struggle and pain. It's something that we have to face head on. And a lot of these women are learning how to do that. And I find the strength that a lot of these women have is an incredible amount of inspiration and motivation for me to continually do my work. I love that. I love that every single answer I get from all of my guests is different. And thank you for that. So you have a membership program called sexy lady balls, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. it's at sexyladyballs.com, and you have generously offered my ass kickers a discount. So can you tell us about what that is and how they can, how they can get in? Yeah, for sure. So Sexy Lady Balls is a membership program and you receive recipes. There is an awesome, you know, private group on Facebook for it, for the paid group. There are coaching calls that happen, uh, like Q&As that happen every single week. There's topic specific coaching calls that happen, expert interviews. There's just so much that's attached to the program and they can get all the info at sexyladyballs.com. So we kind of keep it simple there. So sexyladyballs.com. And for your people that are coming in, normally we charge about 77 bucks a month, but for you guys, we are doing it for 57, so 20 bucks off. And all they have to do is type in the discount code YKAL57, all together, lowercase. And truthfully, I think that they will absolutely love it because other than just going for like a online membership where you just kind of get a standard 
supplement protocol. The difference with sexy lady balls is that it's customized. Mm -hmm. So every single person coming in, you submit an assessment form and you get a custom protocol walking out. And we have over 600 members. So we're really, the amount of attention to detail and the amount of support and access to me that they have is quite a bit. And I'll tell you, like you walk in and you'll be strutting right back out. I love that. And it's just, you know, I think that we went over a lot in a short amount of time. <laughs> so yeah. whether you have poop problems, it's bloating, reproductive issues. Melissa can cover it all. I, I didn't know you had weekly Q&A calls. That's pretty rad. I thought it was monthly. Yeah. So yeah. you get a lot of access to Melissa. So head on over there, sexyladyballs.com. The link is in the show notes, all lowercase YKAL57 for your discount code. And thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful for this conversation. So head on over to the show notes or you heard where it's all at. And thank you so much, Ask Kickers, for being here. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, Ask Kickers, you know what would help me out so much if you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click write a review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google stitcher.com, your kick-ass life, and voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link. Scroll down and click write a review. That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.